When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Gretchen Rubin, and this is A Little Happier. My very favorite book about parenting is actually a book that applies not just to parents and children, but to all relationships. I've read this book several times, and I've applied its principles to every aspect of my life. I love this book because not only is it full of terrific insights, it's also so well-written that it's a pleasure to read. The book is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. I love many of the books by these authors, especially Siblings Without Rivalry, but this is my favorite. I remember many of the examples of the book, but there's one passage that stands out in my mind most clearly. In its simplicity, I find that I think of it often. I think of it so often, in fact, that I have a mental shorthand for it. I just think juice story, and that's all I need to do to remember the entire lesson. So here, from How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, comes the juice story. It's the opening of chapter five on praise. Once upon a time, there were two seven-year-old boys named Bruce and David. They both had mothers who loved them very much. Each boy's day began differently. The first thing Bruce heard when he awakened in the morning was, Get up now, Bruce. You're going to be late for school again. Bruce got up, dressed himself, except for his shoes, and came in for breakfast. Mother said, Where are your shoes? Are you planning to go to school barefoot? And look at what you're wearing. That blue sweater looks awful with that green shirt. Bruce, dear, what have you done to your pants? They're ripped. I want you to change them after breakfast. No child of mine is going to school with torn pants. Now, watch how you pour your juice. Don't spill it the way you usually do. Bruce poured and spilled. Mother was exasperated. As she mopped at the mess, she said, I don't know what to do with you. Bruce mumbled something to himself. What was that? Mother asked. There you go, mumbling again. Bruce finished his breakfast in silence. Then he changed his pants, put on his shoes, collected his books, and left for school. His mother called out, Bruce, you forgot your lunch. If your head weren't screwed onto your shoulders, I bet you'd forget that too. Bruce took his lunch, and as he started out the door again, mother reminded him, now be sure to behave at school today. David lived across the street. 
The first thing he heard in the morning was, seven o'clock, David. Do you want to get up now or take five more minutes? David rolled over and yawned. Five more minutes, he mumbled. Later, he came to breakfast dressed, except for his shoes. Mother said, hey, you're dressed already. All you have left to put on are your shoes. Uh-oh, there's a rip in the seam of your pants. It looks as if the whole side could split. Shall I sew it on you while you stand up, or would you rather change? David thought a second and said, I'll change after breakfast. Then he sat down at the table and poured his juice. He spilled. The cleanup rag is in the sink, Mother called over her shoulder as she continued making his lunch. David got the rag and wiped up the spill. They talked for a while as David ate his breakfast. When he was finished, he changed his pants, put on his shoes, collected his books, and left for school without his lunch. Mother called after him, David, your lunch. He ran back to get it and thanked her. As she handed it to him, she said, see you later. Both Bruce and David had the same teacher. During the day, the teacher told the class, children, as you already know, will be putting on our play next week. We need a volunteer to paint a colorful welcome sign on our classroom door. We also need a volunteer to pour and serve the lemonade for our guests after the play. And finally, we need someone who will go around to the other third grade classes and make a short speech, inviting everyone to our play and telling them the time, day, and place. Some of the children raised their hands immediately. Some raised their hands tentatively, and some didn't raise their hands at all. Our story stops here. That's all we know. About what happened afterwards, we can only guess. But it certainly does leave us with food for thought. Take a moment now to consider these questions and answer them for yourself. One, would David be likely to raise his hand to volunteer? Two, would Bruce? Three, what is the relationship between how children think of themselves and their willingness to accept challenges or risk failure? Four, what is the relationship between how children think of themselves and the kind of goals they set for themselves? Elizabeth and I often talk about reframing, and these two contrasting stories are a great illustration of the fact that we're constantly framing reality for ourselves and for other people, and we can make choices about the form that framing takes. I'm Gretchen Rubin, and I hope this makes your week a little happier. From the Onward Project.